0: This podcast is brought to you in association with Wednesday Pigs, the free-to-play game where you can bag yourself a share of £1,000 just by answering a few questions based on our upcoming fixture. Just head to the iOS app store or the Google Play store to download the app and enter your predictions. You have to be over 18 to play. Please play responsibly and be gamblerware.org. Hi guys,
1: this is Chris Lawrence. I'm Daryl Marcus Dave Lucas. I'm Glenn
0: Louvens Daniel Pudillo.
1: And I love listening to
0: the Wednesday Till I Die podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Till I Die podcast. Uh, I'm joined by another former Owl who made over 70 appearances for the Owls uh, and scored on his debut goal against Sheffield United. he's uh, Nigerian International Effin Okoku. How are you Effin, you okay?
1: Alright James, thanks very much.
0: Good, good. Thanks for thanks for coming uh, along. Now, whenever I do these uh, these interviews, I always like to start from from the beginning. Um, yeah. Now, you started your football career at, at non-league level with Sutton yes. United, wasn't it? Now, I mean, what league were they in at the, at the time, and how did that all uh, all come about?
1: You signing for them? Uh, well, I was in. Uh, they were in the fifth tier, which is which was the Vauxhall Conference, as it was known then. Um, and yeah, back in oh, 1989, so. I'd not played football for a long time actually. So I was, I was, I was twenty. I was uh, twenty-two then, and, uh, just a be younger than me, actually. Um, I'd not actually played really since I was properly since on the regular since I was about thirteen. So I played rugby at school, and um, up in Liverpool went to a rugby playing school. You know, we didn't even have a football team. So I played, um, I played Sunday league. You know, with lads I've played with, I've known with, you know, you've got there since I was like five or six, you know, we played. Yeah, and, um yeah. on a Sunday, you know, from about the age of let a 10th or about 12, yeah, or 13. And um I went to Nigeria and then came back and and just started training locally on my own first and and then joined southern literally just because they were on the local teams around me. It was either that or two and Mitchell which was just down the road. But you know they didn't answer the phone when I actually called. All <laughs> oh, right, okay. Yeah, basically I was on the phone, and next one down the list, you know, was was Sutton, and I Levin them, and, and and the manager picked up the phone, Barry Williams, and said, "Yeah, you know, come on down, train Tuesdays or Thursday, pre-season, whatever it was," and that was it. Went from there, you know, straightforward. So
0: always, always been a striker then, or are you, is that something you kind of uh, you did from no, the No, actually I mean?
1: started. A, when I was a young kid, I started off playing in defense as as a central defender, then sort of moved out to the wing because I was always quick and quite tricky. And then from the wing, I uh, from the right wing, um, moved to the left wing. When I first started playing, actually, when I went to Sutton, they played me down on the left first. I always like to play midfield, you know, to start with. So yeah. I sort of played on the left, and then he decided, no, I think you best serve, you know, playing up front, you know, so. Yeah, um, big
0: big centre forward.
1: Yeah, I moved up front, you know, you know, I was a thing then and I was quite pleased really and I was quite happy and it took a little while then you know, to get used to you know different movements and everything. By that time I was already, uh, you know, I, I was a big grown-up by then. I was 22, so that's a new thing to learn, you know, at that kind of age, you know, to be playing with your back to goal or all kind of stuff. New movements, understanding how, how people move around you and then not having that football education as it were, you know, growing yeah. up, you know, within the system from the age of 15, uh, 16. Yeah, and then...
0: um Hi Redknapp at Bournemouth, he um, yeah. he came came knocking on on the door. I mean that must have been fantastic to you know to get the to get the news. ring. can you remember what you were doing at the time when when you found out that uh, that Bournemouth were interested in you?
1: Well, there was about four or five clubs interested. I um, actually came. I whisper it. I went to the Blades. I was on. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was at the Blades for uh, three days when Dave Bassett was manager. Um, when Brian Dean and Tony Agana were up there and a few other players, you know, you know, said, "Why i got two months?". times since 19, it's 1990, actually. Yeah. You know, towards the end of that season, I went to, I went to United for a couple of days, went to Charlton for a couple of days to train, uh, all wanted me to sign, uh, someone else I can't remember. And, then, um, I'll play it as well. Well, wanted to sign and Bournemouth. So I just backed up a really good season. So I scored about thirty-three odd goals in, in total in all competitions. And um, so yeah, I had a choice, and Bournemouth were one of the ones. Harry's very persuasive. Uh, I can you imagine? Yeah, Yeah, you know, it wasn't really to you know anything you know to do with Bournemouth being you know not far from London. Until that I'd never been to Bournemouth before, so I was more than happy you know to go wherever. And yeah, you know, he was as I said, you know sort of very hands-on and the in terms of in terms of the approach, a couple of the other managers weren't even, you know, I I sort of hardly got to speak to them. Um, I don't know who was in charge of Millwall at the time. Anyway, Harry, I'm a chief scout guy called Stuart Morgan, really nice guy. I've seen me loads of times, you know, he used to talk about all the games I played you know for sort of going back almost, you know, from the beginning of the season, you know. So it made me feel really wanted and I think when you're a young player like that, you know it's important. It's every personal touch. Second, sometimes persuade you, you know, to join a club. You know, you will you otherwise may not join.
0: Absolutely. I mean, obviously, at the time, uh, Harry then went on to do some fantastic things there uh, with Portsmouth and, and Tottenham. I mean, what, what was it like to to be around obviously He didn't really have that reputation, I suppose, at the at the time when he was at, when he was at Bournemouth, did he?
1: No, he was you know just one of many managers you know down in the lower leagues. Bournemouth had been. In uh, towards the top of the of, of, of what the championship now, uh, I think they have done about two years or maybe three of them, and then had fallen on hard times in terms of you know in terms of playing anyway and financial as well. And yeah, I, I knew nothing about him. I knew they had quite an experienced squad, so that sort of encouraged me to go there as well. Luther, I thought I could maybe learn a, a few things off people like Luther, a couple of older players there who've been around top flight like football before, Kevin Bond. Uh, Paul Miller, who was at Spurs, and um, a mix of uh, you know, experience and some younger players as well. Unfortunately, it was a team that was, or a club that was in, in decline financially. And, you know, things never, well, things weren't, let's say, it wasn't a great platform because, as I said, you know, I think um, the first, yeah, you know, within a couple of months of his signing, or week's even Harry had his accident back in 1990, back in Italy. And you know there was a lot of sort of disruption in that respect at the football club, so it was hard to adjust to everything with with so much sort of upheaval and turmoil, if you like. Was that one of the reasons
0: why you why you left Bournemouth in the end then? Because of that, or was it just literally because you you, know, you wanted to move on to bigger and better things with with Norwich? You know, instead of said about the, the turmoil and stuff, and they're on the decline. Is that yeah? Is that one of the reasons why you left?
1: Yeah, um no. When you play well enough, you know you. You'd always get offers, wouldn't you? Yeah. The clubs would always be interested. In the end, I stayed there for nearly three years, and injury hit years, really. You know, from the first sort of few months I, was there, I got injured, I had a couple of operations, ankle operations, never really got into a great rhythm that I had the full season where I played well enough. But every time I played, or every time I came back from injury, I always thought that um, I was a better player. You know, it always takes you a bit of while, you know, to get up and running. Um, so in the end, I was there three years and he made about 75 appearances, I was something like that, but certainly by the end of the second season I was there, when I got into, you know, it was, it was a really frustrating time, because you're playing catch-up anyway when you when you turn pro at 22, you know, you haven't got any time to waste, have you? So no, I'd not missed, really. You know, I'd, I'd missed like four or five years of, you know, of potential football, so I was already middle-aged when I signed, you know, to play pro. And, you know, so when you get the first couple of years that, you know, you miss, you, you know, through injury, you're still trying to learn the game, understand how the professional setup works. It can take a lot out of you, and, you know, you just have to be determined enough, especially if you get injuries like I did, you know, to come back and play well enough. You know, fortunately for me, I played well enough on the came back, um, especially the last season. Finally, in my contract, I did well enough in the last, uh, I think I was only back for about 16 or 17 games of the season, just scored about 10, 11 goals. Um, and that was enough, you know, to convince, um, well, Norwich, you know, in particular, because I think probably most of the clubs what we're looking at said now probably probably weren't, you know, probably unsure about where I've been, whether I've been in the in the pyramid system before or not, whether I was a bit of a check of character, all these kind of things. So when they don't know you, you know, they don't, you know, they don't want to take a plunge, I think, a lot of the time, because you don't have the, you don't have the connection of friends and former coaches and managers who can speak up for you, that kind of thing. So sometimes, you know, they are just purely looking at what you can do on the field and I think a lot of the time it's a combination of not only what you do on the field but also, you know, especially now uh, but you know a you know also added to whether people just know you or not and if they don't know you then I think there's always that scepticism there uh, but in the end you know, I got a good deal and it was um, yeah it was a good step up we have a new podcast ready for you to download and listen to
0: each and every Monday so make sure you subscribe and you'll never miss an episode episode yeah, I mean, obviously doing doing my research and what have you, I forgot how good of a side Norwich actually were back back then. I think that that first uh, first season finished third, didn't they, In the uh, yeah. what was it was called the called the first division, were not it back back then? It weren't the it weren't the Premier League, was it? Um, that was the first season of
1: the Premier League. That one, yeah. Oh, was it?
0: Sorry, right? Okay, That's and just, then uh, yeah, and fine. then the, and the, and then they qualify for the UEFA Cup. And yeah. actually, when I think when I think of Norwich, I, I you know no disrespect to Norwich, but I just didn't mm. didn't really realise that, that they were that uh, they were that good. And I mean, looking as well, they were some you know former Owls that uh, that played for them. John Newsom, he was there wasn't yeah. he, and uh, yeah. and Gary Megson, who uh, yeah. obviously he's a bit of a bit of a legend at, uh, yeah. at at Sheffield Wednesday. I mean, what was it like making that step up to the Premier League? Obviously, you've you've played through. You know, from, from right from the bottom. I mean, you said in that fifth tier, going all the way up to the Premier League. I mean, it, what, what was it? What was it like to, to, to play in you know the
1: the top division? It was exciting because it's always a place that I thought you know that I should be playing. And you know, when you finally get there at 26, um, well, you know, I talked about playing catch up. You know, there's that extra desperation, you know, to do well. And joining at such a great time as well, Norwich. Like I said, that was the first season of the Premier League, you know, so I, joined, I signed on deadline day, about March 22nd or something like that, maybe, um, back in 93. i Norwich top of the league with um, eight games left, you know, followed by Villa and the Man United, who had a couple of games in hand. Uh, but I never really felt as if it was a club at the time um, who felt as if, you know, that they could win the league. I didn't know the players at all. I didn't know anybody there. You know, they didn't know me. I was a new signing. Um, it just, it, it didn't feel as if there was enough tension about the place, as if it was a club that was actually challenging for what is the hardest, you know, arguably the hardest league to yeah. win you know, in, in world football. And yeah, I suppose without having that, low, uh, that amount of history, I think, you know, that doesn't, or that you know, that's an added factor that helps to drive the big clubs on and um yeah you know it was it would have been great you know to have been able to hold on you know we, we finished third in the end i didn't make my debut or not full debut made my full start the last game of the season when we needed a draw to win and we beat middlesbrough away so i scored a couple of goals, which was great that was my first start but you know just sneaking to europe because then there's only only three clubs allowed in europe so one yeah. into the european cup and then two more into the uefa cup so we picked blackburn you know we finished third behind behind villa you know so that was well, yeah it was it was a great time to be there because it's the highest, pro, it's the highest profile you know that, that the clubs ever had. So to be part of that, you know, for you know, for you know, the end of that season, and then the following season, you know, with the UEFA Cup run was, you know, was a, a terrific time to join. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned there that
0: you know you said you, you always wanted to be in the Premier League. Did you ever suffer from nerves at all during your during your career? Did, I, I know you said that, like you you didn't know any of the players and stuff like that. Yeah. Did you ever? kind of what do what they call it now like imposter syndrome don't they where you think did you ever have that or was you just yeah. you know, quite a confident guy no uh, i'll
1: tell you what i i felt that i think the first start i made in non-league you know in uh in what was a conference then which is amazing how to think about it because like i said i've not played football really for about six years and first game i started it was the pace of the game. I was, I was saying, "Geez, it's just how, how uh, everybody runs?" You know, you know, <laughs> yeah. people flying past me. You know, you, you're trying to get up to a speed. You know, you know, your heart rate is not quite there. And I said, after 15 minutes, I was saying, "Geez, I can't play at this level." You know, you know yeah. it's amazing. You know, then after, then within about 15 minutes, I was sort of like there, and I never felt like what you know, I never felt that way again ever in any game, whether playing in all league or going out to play for Nigeria, you know, being involved with the World Cup, all that kind of stuff, Africa in the African Cup of Nations, you know, in Premier League games, FA Cup games, UEFA Cup games, all that kind of stuff. So I never felt that way again. I think. Um, so I think if you've got that mindset, you know, you believe that, you're, yeah, you believe that you belong or that you're good enough. Then I suppose it takes something, you know, or should or should say something really massive, if you like, you know, for you to really feel those nerves. Apart, you know, I suppose my full, yeah, my debut for Norwich was against Man United, so the first game which was, yeah, the first game I up I signed back in 93 yeah. and um, I came off the bench or I was coming off the bench with about 20 minutes to go and I was fine, you know, in a warm up, you know, I'm quite an easy going guy. I don't, I don't get nervous things like that really. You get a few butterflies and I did, you know, loads of times, but I think nerves are something completely different where you feel yeah. as if you can't perform. But literally as, as I got off the bench, took off my top, I went to stand by the touchline and then the ref blew the whistle and the, and the fourth official and well, put, put, put up the board whatever, And it felt like all the blood in my calves completely drained out. And literally, they went like two stones and it, you will not believe the feeling. And literally, you know, I felt as if shit, I can't walk, let alone run. I couldn't, my, my calves just like completely swelled up like two rocks. And um, I ran on a pitch and still felt like that. And Within about five seconds, it completely disappeared you know and that was it it was gone you know it was amazing you know both legs just like when you know like stone I'm taking shit it's the biggest moment of my life kind of thing you know I'm playing in a top flight for the first time and you know I'm going to freeze and like I said you know that tension those nerves are, I suppose they were real nerves if you like in a way and then yeah you know we had about 10 or seconds you know they are completely gone and I was fine
0: yeah I mean I've you had a good time at Norwich you know you're in the uh, in the Hall of Fame as well uh, aren't you uh, for- for Norwich City, um, first first player to score in Europe for Norwich, and then first player to score more than three goals in a in a Premier League game. That was at, yeah. uh, at, at Everton as well. Um, and then and then after that, you you moved on to Wimbledon. Now, where obviously the the crazy gang, as they were as they were called, weren't they uh, back back then? Obviously they were renowned for being quite a physical side and you know quite intimidating. Was that still the case when you when you signed for him? Was that obviously they had that reputation, but was it still? Yeah. um Was it still that type of, that type of team?
1: Yeah, glad you asked me that because most people just assumed that we were. And certainly when I joined, I didn't really feel that way. But I never had any fear of them when I played against them. You know, for me it was like you know that's it's all bluster. You know, they had some good players. You know, before I joined, us you know some good players. When I joined, and some players. Came after ice after the back back in ninety four. Certainly, that reputation was still, and people were still a little bit afraid of the way they played. But the game had moved on quite a lot since the mid eighties. You know when they got into the top yeah. five. I think back in nineteen eighty six by ninety four is the game had become a little bit cleaner, a bit more sanitized, not as much as it is now, um, but certainly a lot of this stuff that you used to be able to get away with had been sort of policed out of the game, which is a good thing, and even more has been removed from the game in the last 15 years or so. Um, but yeah, you know, that that sort of reputation, that aura, if you like, you know, can certainly help you because, you know, some players can get intimidated by. When I was at Norwich, I felt a few of the players were intimidated when we played Wimbledon, you know, and were beaten before we got there, which was, yeah. you know, just because they were afraid of the physicality of the side, but, you know, it, it, it never concerned me. I played rugby at school, so I was used to tumble. stumble. You know, it was great. It was like, you know, it was, you know, it was great. It was great. Right, come on, bring it on, kind of thing. You know, I wasn't intimidated by players who were bigger than me and, you know, the physical challenge. As long as people weren't, weren't dirty, you know, I was fine, you know. If you knew that people were honest with their challenges, you know, I could take anything. And um, so, yeah, it was... So it, it also worked against you because you'd probably never got... In fact, you never got the recognition if you actually play some good football. And every time we did, and every time we'd beat, you know, one of the big boys, and we did every season, not just once or twice, but lots of times. People would say it was either lucky or it was smashing grab it was long ball football. So with Wimbledon, it was a long ball with Man United over Liverpool, it was a long pass. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you yeah, know no, yeah. but, uh, you get you get to live with it, but I mean it, it pisses you off. But in you know at the end of the day, you know you're a pro and you get all your work and people within the game I think respect you because they actually know or understand the nuances that are a little bit better. Yeah, obviously you
0: hear about things like you know the the cold and dirty dressing rooms, the, the no toilet roll and the things like that for the away team. Did, did that really happen at your time at Wimbledon? It, as you said, had that kind of been phased out a little bit?
1: Yeah, no, no. When I went there, I only went there a couple of times in Norwich before I I left. I went to join Wimbledon, but I went to I went to loads of dressing rooms that were worse than ours, you know, or worse than the away one at um, at Steller's Park. Yeah, so. I've I'm sure those things happened, you know, back in the 80s, without doubt, you know, but they happened at other clubs as well, you know, you know, where they turned off the electricity and made sure that the water was cold, you know, and um, it just did, it happened, it's, I think it's actually, yeah, it is, yeah, you know, you know, the thing that, well, if that's going to upset them, you know, that there's no hot water for the team before the game, you know, that's not much is it to put you off, if that's going to put you off playing your best, you know, you know, you shouldn't be at that level in the first place. You know, so all those things used to make me chuckle and you know, it used to make me chuckle, but it never, it was never part of our game plan to upset people that way, you know, yeah. either before the game, psychological warfare. But as I said, I think just lots of players around that era were, around that, uh, era were intimidated before they even stepped from the pitch against us. You know? In the same way that teams are intimidated or certain players can be against, you know, some of the best teams and, and that doesn't allow you to, to produce your best. I mean...
0: When you when you go to watch the games, or well, when we are allowed to go, you don't really see, it, well, you can't really hear it as much. But you not know, like this the sledging element to, to football. Um, now now there's been no fans. You obviously do hear you pick up on the on the on the mics like some of the things that are that are yeah. said. And is that is that some you know is that something that you that players do? Was like like to get into people's heads and stuff like that? Is that something that you did when you were playing?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs>
0: That's all part of the game.
1: Is it's, uh, yeah, people used to do it to us, and so we used to do it to them. I, I I never got involved in it too much. It was a little bit of banter. I, I, I probably used to get involved with it with people that I you know that I actually knew. You know, used to wind them up a little bit. You know, people you were friendly with outside the game, former teammates, that kind of stuff. Um, those things happen. I think or used to happen. Also, when there was a certain incident in the game, something that would trigger it, all. and then you know that could and that could lead to quite a lot of um sledging but I don't think I don't think it would have been a game without that back in the eighties and nineties, would it? You know, and I'm sure some you know goes on now. I, mean, I, I hear one or two bits when I'm working, but not as many as as uh, as I'd like to, to be honest. <laughs> I
0: mean, uh, obviously, you, you played with you played with Vinnie Jones, didn't you? At your time at, yeah. at Wimbledon. What what was he like as a as a player to to play with? Obviously, you hear a lot about him, and was he was he? Was it all the front, or is he actually genuinely that kind of hard guy all the all the time?
1: It's a bit of a front. He's um, he can he can look after himself, you know. But it's it's his you know he's he's a forceful character, you know. And uh, there you know there were more players like that I think then, uh, especially in the English game, who who got to the top level through sheer force of will, you know, personality. You know, not that he wasn't he wasn't talented in you know in in, in his own ways. He was. He was a good passer of all, he was a good, you know, he was good organiser, he led by example. And those things are valuable, aren't they? You know, you get players like that now of maybe not particularly more talented than him who, who get top level, who who, who play for England, who play for you know their country. And uh, certainly I think is rougher edges, if you like. And playing for a club like Wimbledon, I'll go back to what I said before, you probably don't get the credit that you deserve you because you're playing for a small club, but um they'll there play probably players playing for or who have played for some of the big clubs in the country, you know, around that time, mid eighties, late, you know, um, mid nineties, and so, who, as I said, you know, were just about the same level as Vinnie, who, um, who would have got lots of plaudits. You know, that's that's life, isn't it? You know, and that's that's you know, for People will like you because they like you. People will not because they don't because they don't play for the team or it's local rivalry, and whatever you do after that, people will never, you know, irrespective of what you do after that, people will never ever write anything nice about you because they've got an agenda and lots of journalists lots of lots of people in the press do have an agenda um you know it's, you just have to accept you know, that's the case and i made said to me when i was in playing back in bournemouth i had a, a running with a journalist and he said you know, you know you just have to take the rough with the smooth and it's it's uh for them it's business you know they're doing their job and we're doing ours so yeah, they're, they're they're writing the headlines, aren't of they, Then they
0: they want to sell the sell the newspapers back then, obviously, now it's getting the clicks on the uh, on the on the website and stuff. Now, then, I'm gonna you know fast forward a, uh, a few years as well. You went to Switzerland to play for Grasshoppers. Was that just to save on the tax? Was it <laughs> what tax? <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, I was so, in mean, a. Yeah,
0: go on. Yeah, I mean I've I've I've, I've, heard of, I've heard of Grasshoppers but you know my knowledge on them is is quite limited almost non-existent. Uh, I mean looking at looking at your um looking at your time there it sounds like you were quite prolific um you know you know 12 goals in 13 games in the in the league in the in the first season. What what was the quality of football like there? Was it uh, and and how did that move come about?
1: Quality is probably um I'd say championship level. Yeah. You know, grasshoppers were quite a good team at the time when I went there. St. Gallen knew were the top team at the time. Uh, Basel weren't quite the team that they became. About yeah. For about three, you know, towards the end of my time there, they built their new ground, which, and that sort of made, you know, allowed them to elevate themselves to become the best. Under Christian think was in charge of him for about a year. I thought I, I left Swiss football and they became, you know, the big club for the next seven or eight years um but yeah you know yeah you know the standard was probably championship mid-champions championship the best you know grasshoppers, and maybe one or two others could have maybe competed in the championship not many outside of that in fact nobody outside of that the rest of the level probably would have been uh, league one um i find it change, changed i i've been trying to leave one with them for like about 18 months you know they turned down uh, a few offers you know for me and you know which really ticks me off i'll say it like that because i've given them good service you know for you know for nearly five years and in the end, a little bit of frustration. You know, I don't think he, he didn't want me to leave and go to another Premier League club. You know, Sam, my man. And Roy Hodgson had been keen on me for a while. He tried to start me when I was at uh, Wimbledon and he was manager at Blackburn. And he'd, um, you know, he was looking to recruit and get some you know, and get some good players out there. So, and I'd always fancy playing abroad as well. I wish I, you know, if, maybe if I'd started pro football younger and had had a few years before the age of 22 and had been, you know, I'd done a few things in a way I may have gone, and so I thought, you know, if I don't go now at 31, 32, I'll never go. Um, so yeah. I did, you know, I went away and it was great, I enjoyed it. Roy left early, he resigned, which was a shame. And then things sort of fell apart very quickly, as they can do at any football club. And then you want to, you know, slash the budget, all that kind of thing, and get people who are high earners off the wage bill. Um, but I was, I would have been quite happy to stay on until the end of that season, uh, which was. Uh, whatever that was, 2000, 2001. But then I got into the first few weeks of the campaign and then, yeah, a few things happened internally at the football club and, you know, one or two clubs in England were keen on on bringing me back. So, initially, I wasn't, but, um, when well, Wednesday came calling and, you know, things changed really quickly. Now, obviously, is it,
0: as a fan, when you when you see all these things coming in, um, rumors about players moving to different clubs and stuff like that, and you, you yeah. hear quite a lot, oh, he's just gone for the money and, and things. Would you say that is that is the case, or are footballers generally just want to play football, or or is it? Is it I suppose it's an element of both, isn't it? Like, yeah, the money, the
1: money, money and the football. Yeah. yeah, it's you know, and people have got to make a living, haven't they? You know, pro footballers get their life maybe fifteen years if you're lucky. You know, if you can play that all in the top flight, then fantastic. I didn't. You know, you know. some people have. Some people would have played low level than me. and made more money than me because they played for the big clubs or the timing or the era in which they played. And I never went anywhere for money. I went, I could have stayed at Wimbledon for another, you know, seven, eight months. I was coming to the end of my contract. I could have left on the Bosman and gone free. You know, our two or three Premier Clubs, you know, you know, saying to me, just wait until the end of the season. I'm sign you for nothing. And I thought, if you are fallen out with coach where you are, you know, you don't feel as if you're going to play, you're going to be marginalised for whatever reason and the teams are going to be on merit. I'm the last person to ever stay anyway, even for one week, let alone for nine months or so. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I just wanted to go and play football. Like I said, I was 31. It's it's no time to be sitting around and just earning your money and not playing and, and then just wait to pick up more money at the, at the end of the campaign when you sign someone else. I mean, that's fine. Loads of players I played with and I know did that, players I played against with they did that. Um so I could have stayed in England and then m- and earned more money than I got going to Switzerland. That's a fact. When I left Zurich and came back to Wednesday, I took a big drop to come back. You know, I still had a year and a half to run there, you know, in, in Switzerland. I never came back for money. Not for one second, you know. I came back to play at a big football club.
0: Myself and Jamie bring this podcast to you because we're both passionate Wednesday eyes, but it doesn't come without a cost. Now, we're not doing this to get rich, but for less than the cost of a matchday pint a pint, you can help support the podcast. By becoming a patron, you'll be helping with the hosting costs, as well as allowing us to purchase new equipment to further enhance the listening experience and allow us to continue producing this podcast for you each and every week. Just go to patreon.com forward slash WTIDpod to become a patron of the podcast. Now, we don't want it to make you feel like you have to, but your support is genuinely appreciated, so thank you. Yeah, obviously you signed on loan initially, didn't you? Yeah. For, for the for the season, um, now we just got relegated, uh, and, and you know at that ninety nine two thousand season. Um, Paul Jewell came in as manager interim, and, and then I think yeah. just after just after you, or just when you signed, we've been on a terrible run. I think it was eight eight straight defeats. I think it was, yeah. and we were rock bottom of the uh, of the, of the championship. I mean, when you came in, what was the uh, what was the atmosphere like in in, in the whole camp? Because obviously, when we came down from the Premier League, we, we thought we were just going to go straight straight back up, um, but obviously that didn't quite didn't quite happen. I no. can imagine it was a bit of a tense atmosphere.
1: The atmosphere stunk. One word, and honestly, you know what? I don't even recall looking at the table when when my and said, you know that Wednesday a keen on signing. I knew that they weren't doing great, but I don't even remember at the table because if I'd known that you were bottom, I probably wouldn't have joined. <laughs> <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, because, you know, if I'd taken everything into account, if I'd known more about what was going on, about the state of the finances, about the, uh, the attitude of lots of players, about the quality of coaching that I was about to join, I probably would have stayed where I was, you know, and, uh, when a team gets relegated, then you hope that the only thing that is wrong about the football club are just results. If it's like that, then it's not too bad. There's a chance, especially for a big club like Wednesday, that you can turn things around. If the, if the finances are in decent shape, the players have got the motivation after a few weeks, you know, moping about, you know, to get back and work hard pre-season and, and play. So when I joined them after September, October, whatever it was, yeah, you know, yeah, it was it was a bad atmosphere in terms of in terms of attitude. People who didn't want to be there, people who were earning lots of money, who, who some were pretending that they were injured and weren't. You know, some were playing, were playing half-heartedly. Others just weren't playing at all. Some young kids who were thrown in at the deep end, lots of responsibility, lots of responsibility for them, which was unfair on those kids. You know, some weren't up to, you know, were up to the but you know, but all of them tried hard enough. Yeah, so it was it was a pretty toxic mix, but you know, I also was Wednesday as one of the big clubs of the country. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, growing up as well, Wednesday was a place where they played semi-finals, you know, the FA Cups, you know, there at Villa Park and it sort of held a special sort of thing in my mind, you know, as, as two massive football clubs, you know, great places to play. And so I always thought, if I get the opportunity to play for, you know, for one of the big clubs in the country, I'll take it. And that was the only reason really that I left. I left Europe, you know, because I had offers to come back. You know, you know, to other clubs. you we both in the championship and the Premier League, but at the time, you know, I said no. I didn't see any of them being as big as Wednesday, and um, if they had been, then I probably would have done, but I didn't, you know. So when when the opportunity came, then I was keen, you know, you know, from the first moment. And yeah, everything happened pretty quickly. Within about within two weeks, in less than two weeks, I was back here.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've already touched on it. Didn't you know, quite there was quite a lot of turmoil at the club at the time. You know, crippling debts. I mean, Chairman Howard Cully he stepped down to make way for Jeff Hulley. Um Now, as a as a player, did did you take note of what's happening behind the scenes, or you know, did that affect you um, when you go out onto the pitch, or are you just
1: solely just focused on on playing the playing the football matches? You you really don't know what's happening behind the scenes, James. You know, you got no idea. I um I never knew. But I didn't know. If you'd asked me you know the name of the chairman and give me one thousand names I wouldn't have remembered you know because really the players don't care do they you know they just want to see a group of players who are trying hard enough doing well you look at the fan base you look at the you know the crowd you look at the stadium you, you know you think it's a good place to play football and it is it's a great place to play and you think that with your experience your qualities you can help turn a team around and and that's what I did you know I came my best and brought my experiences so I think in the battle. when I joined we had a bit of an upturn you know Immediately in terms of results um, and performances, so performances first, and then results. That's that's the ultimate thing. And yeah, you know, as a player, you don't really know what's going on because players, and most players, especially in the, you know in England in particular back then, are not are not really political, so they don't get involved in that. Maybe one or two players are more so now, but I still still don't think that's a British trait where players are you know are too involved in what goes on behind the scenes, you know, you're there to be your job and feel that's where you, that's really where you can affect things. And you hope that everybody feels the same way that you do. And if you pull together in the same direction, there's a, thing, you know, there's a chance to turn things around. But as I said, with all the things going on, personnel-wise, player-wise, you know, that's something that I knew about, because that's what I could see. That's what I was feeling every day at the training ground. And I could see around the, around the club on match days, that's the only thing that you affect. So as one of the older heads there, it was just my responsibility, I thought, just to play as well I could, Play as well as I could and lead by example.
0: Yeah, was there a bit of a divide then at the club? Obviously, like when it, whenever a team gets relegated, there's always players that that leave. There's always <laughs> players that stay on. They're obviously on the big wages, and then obviously you get an influx of of new players coming. Would you Would you have said that there was a bit of a divide um, between those those types of players?
1: Yeah, it was an unconscious one. Nobody ever spoke about it directly. People sort of whispered or said one or two things. You know, I you know, I've been around the game quite a bit by then and you know the older players who were still there said one or two things nobody ever spoke about it publicly um and sometimes I think you're best off having that explosion in a dressing room you know around the football club so people say exactly what's in their mind you know on, in their, on their mind and get it out of the way that releases a lot of tension. people can then know that I'm being honest with you you're being honest with me the coach is being honest with himself with everybody else around you I wonder than that would have happened you know if things had ever got that bad you know and at Wednesday, he didn't, I think, because when he got quite a checkered dressing room in a way, he's I acting mean, as you know, probably, yeah, you there was probably a huge disparity as well between what people were earning and, you know, the level of commitments all that kind of stuff. And it just became very, yeah, it just became, I suppose, quite selfish before I got there. Never really got much better in the first, you know, few months that I was there until, you know, the coaching staff changed. Yeah, that, obviously, then,
0: um... You know, Paul Jewell. He he wasn't there for too long, was he? Uh, and when he, when he left, it uh, was Peter Shreves that uh, that took over. Oh, yeah. was, was there a big difference in their managerial styles at all? Would you say? You know, did you prefer one of them over the other?
1: Yeah. Um, well, Shreves had been around a long time. You know, he was already quite a seasoned coach, wasn't he? You know, he'd been coached for many years at different clubs, at Tottenham, for a while. So knew the game. I thought he was a good coach. Um but he was number two when I went, you know, he was assisting Paul Jewell. Uh Paul Jewell's, I think, was that his second job? Something he was, at I think Bradford. It
0: was at Bradford. He was at Bradford before that, yeah,
1: wasn't Second job Wednesday. No stretch of Bradford, but you know, Wednesday a much, much bigger club, aren't they? You know, yeah. with a greater profile. And he was he was out of his depth, you know, in terms of handling everything that was going on. If you've got a good coach who maybe is not adept at handling what's going on behind the scenes, at least if you can just manage a team well enough and get the team to play and build an identity and you know impose his personality onto the players and a group of you know guys performing that then transmits to the crowd, it becomes a good place at least on match day, on a Saturday or a Wednesday night or Tuesday evening or whatever, whatever it's the case may be. And, and then you could forget that. You can forget the other side. People can take care of that. People can see that you're doing your job as a coach. People can see that the players are doing their jobs as well. Results are coming and the team is moving up the table. But if you can't do that, if you're if you can't handle all what's going on, and for a young coach, that's very difficult. You know, a football club, you know, um, finances are desperate. You know, it's hard for you to get the older players, the senior players, to gel. Uh, as I said earlier, quite a few players, you know, particularly didn't want to play. I think you know, some were claiming to you, you know probably plenty to be when they weren't so all that is quite toxic. You need somebody you need you need somebody man enough to be able to deal with it all and to be able to get the team to play and he I don't think he was equipped to deal with it. Maybe later on in his career he may have done a better job, but you know my experience with him is that he wasn't he wasn't capable. And his personality didn't you know didn't endear him to you know to anyone really because he was quite abrasive. You know, I think that's his character, you know, in not in a and it's sort of nasty, where I just, you know. He's, you know, he's 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 a cheeky chap, isn't he? You know, he's he's a scouser, which is fine. I'm a scouser as well. You know, I can deal with all that. You know, but I was quite experienced. You know, so a lot of the stuff that went on in and around the training ground, I heard it all before. A lot of the younger players. I don't think it was a great environment for them to learn their trade. You know, and uh, yeah, so if the right person in charge of the team at the time may have been able to turn things around more quickly or, or turn them around. Uh, but as I said, I don't think you know he was capable of that. By the time we or by the time he we was sacked towards the end of the season with about 15 games left, I think. Um we had a different we, we had the same coach now in charge, you know, because in charge but a completely different personality. And the older players, me in particular, able to respond to that, somebody with a wiser head who who simplified things, who wasn't always pointed finger in terms of blame, used the experienced players you know from day one as soon as he took over and things turn around very quickly uh very quickly I, I think i think in the last 15 or so games we won about eight or nine of them you know so for a team that was fighting relegation all of a sudden to win eight or nine out of 15 is incredible you know and that's and that's just not because all of a sudden you know they're good players or it's a good team something has happened in the minds of the players to be you know for them to switch on and be able to perform and that's largely down to the influence of the
0: man who's now in charge. Absolutely. Now on a bit of a more of a positive note, now you'll you'll always be down in history with, with us, uh, mainly for that, for your for your debut that you that you made uh, against Sheffield United. Obviously you know the, the biggest biggest game for uh, for any Sheffield Wednesday fan. You know, that's the game that we always look for. Obviously yeah. we drew we drew him in the in the cup. Um you didn't just get one goal you got you know you got two and obviously we, we beat him. Um in front of what, 30, 32, 000 fans um Proud, on yeah. that day. Now, I mean, first of all, did you touch it?
1: That header. Of course, I did. <laughs> of course, I did.
0: What, what
1: kind of questions are? It's all in the subtle glance, right? <laughs> Absolutely.
0: I mean, what, what was that? What was that atmosphere like? Uh, you know, to play in the in you know the, in the Steel City Derby and on your debut as well, and to get your goal.
1: You know, it was uh, it was electric. It was absolutely electric. Obviously, when you you've got two big clubs in one city, then as you you know better than me how you know know the feeling if you're a local lad. And from the moment we you know the moment of the uh, the whistle gone on the previous game, I think it was a midweek game, wasn't it? It was it was was a Tuesday night, was it? It was was yeah, 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 whatever. And, yeah, you know, that's all the fans were talking about. If anybody saw you in the street, that's all they were talking about. And The players were getting on for it, so that was my first game. I think it was the first derby game for about seven or eight years, wasn't it? You know, nine years,
0: time. Nine years, I think it was, yeah. yeah.
1: So so that I mean that level of anticipation and, and excitement is obviously great. And I remember Des Walks said to me, he said that, uh, obviously, Des had played in quite a few big games himself over the year. Yeah, I played in quite a few London derbies, and so... Um, and, you know, those atmospheres are always, always, you know, you absolutely special without a doubt. And no matter how many times you play them, you know, the fans in the field, it's like an FA Cup atmosphere plus, you know. And um, so, yeah, I was, in a way, I was sort of thinking, yeah, it's just another game kind of thing. And Dad said to me, he said, Chiefs, you know, it's a big game. It's a big, big game. He said, you know, and, uh, yeah, and it was, you know, if you come out to one when you see that already, there's, you know, you know 25,000 there. Okay. He's right you know you know and there's just something in the air that you can't explain um so yeah you know to play in that atmosphere i remember that i wasn't actually fit i was probably only about my third or fourth game so I still, you know because when i joined from grasshoppers i've been out for six four or five weeks into to play a few games by anyway so i'll still get myself speed so in a way i was i was disappointed that i wasn't quite at the level that i would like to be in terms of fitness but well, who cares, you know, I scored two and we won. And yeah, it was uh it was a great game. It was a great game to play in, and, and people were talking about before the game and obviously afterwards, you know, to so to be the match winner, yeah, it's a it's a nice memory. I mean
0: you you said there you've played in quite a few um local derbies. How, how does the Steel City derby rank in terms of the um the magnitude of you know the derbies
1: that you've played in? Well, play. I mean, I played in um just a uh, one East Anglian Derby and and um, honestly any derby that you play in, they you know, they, there's real fire, there's real venom in the air. You know, you can feel that people think Norwich against Citrus, you're kidnapping you. You know, but honestly, you feel you know the atmosphere like, first time at Portman Road and I could not believe it, you know, the electricity in the year before the game, in the warm up, everything during the game, all, you know, all all surrounded all week, you know, the whole build-up. But you know, London Derby's the same as well. We're not doing with the smallest club in London. I still are, you know, but you know, playing against Spurs, it was, a, it was a fantastic, fantastic atmosphere against Arsenal, against Chelsea, against QPR, against anybody. You know, there's just there's something in the air. Um, so I can imagine what a Glasgow derby is like. You know, I can imagine what my yeah. uh, Liverpool Everton derby is like, Man City, Man United derby, you know, Spurs, Arsenal, all of them. Um, so yeah, you know, it's it is it's 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 something that the you know the fans love to see, they love to feel. Uh, the players love to play. Uh, in a way, you know, you hope that they never get diluted. And uh, so, in a way, it was it was great that they would not played each other for a while. And you know, you show know that you know the first time for a long time you come out victorious. Yeah, I mean, um, with with like the the derbies and, and the fans and things.
0: Is it is it true that you know, everyone says like oh, the fans are the 12th man as a as a player is that you know when when the fans do get behind you, does it give you that lift and, and everything? Is it is does it really make a massive difference? Uh
1: massive. Surely you, uh, must
0: notice, surely you must notice it as a player. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Of course you do. Yeah, if you've got if you've got 25, 30,000 on your side, it is, it gives you that use an extra lift you know you know you feel as if you've got something else to give an extra yard or so sometimes it has be an extra half a yard which it doesn't sound much but if you put that if you add that up with every single player you know over the course of I don't know it might only be 15 minute spells in the game you know you can yeah. see the goal you go now you need a bit of a lift to get back up you know you've been leading for a long time they score a last minute equalizer and in an FA Cup game you go to extra time you can be completely deflated the crowd can then get you back up again for the first first period of extra times, you know, so all those things certainly help. Um, They can also intimidate the opposition as well. I think big players get used to it and uh, not particularly, are not concerned, not afraid of of playing away from home in front of 25, 30, 40, 50, 60, 60,000. I love playing away from home uh, because I think that's where you show true character. You show what you're made of in terms of adversity against teams on their home patch, will be a group of better players, you know, as they were. A bigger crowd, you know. You know, you're used to win from the 15, 20,000, they get fifty thousand a week. If you can do that every other week and go and perform and score your goals, then I think that I think that says a lot about you individually and also as a group of players. You know, when I work now, I look at the character of players and look at what teams do away from home. I'm always more impressed with teams that do well on their travels and win and win and win. You know, or have long periods where where they don't lose. You know, where they're hard to beat. 'Cause that shows I think that shows what you're made of. Um because you know, to go and perform in the lines den, as it were, is not easy. Um so yeah, I'm always in I'm always impressed by teams and players who can perform away from home.
0: Mm. I mean w- when you in your time at Sheffield Wednesday, um Obviously, again as, as fans, all we really see is a bit on the training ground. Obviously, you, know, you play 90 minutes of, of football. I mean, what was what was the social aspect like at, at Sheffield Wednesday uh, during during your time? Was there any was there a, a, you know, a social scene or did everyone just keep themselves to
1: themselves? Yeah, the other players always got together a little bit. We had one or two things um, in terms of the team and you know, do something over Christmas or whatever. Um but by then I was I was a family man, uh, I was I was married, I had a couple of kids, so, you know, my sort of partying days were over, as it were. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, Sheffield's a lovely city anyway. It's a great student town. My son went to uni there four years. He loved it. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's nice. It's a nice place to be, a lovely part of the country to live in. I know loads of players who went there, never left. You know, they seem to love, you know, that North Derbyshire, sort of South Yorkshire part of, of the country um yeah i've got nothing i've got nothing to say i've got nothing negative or bad or you know to say about the people of sheffield at all you know i love it, you know. and i one of those places that we should actually stay you know i wish i stayed longer you
0: can follow us on our social media just search for at wtrd pod on twitter instagram and facebook and make sure you get involved yeah i mean you you've, you've also traveled uh you know up and down the country obviously abroad to play. As a footballer, does I mean it seemingly didn't you know make much of a difference to yourself. But when we see, you know, it's easy to say, oh, we need to sign this player or we need to sign that player. I'm guessing when you have got a family and things like that, it, it makes it much much of a harder decision, doesn't it, to to you know to choose what what team you're going to play for. I know sometimes you're hands forced when it comes down to money and stuff. But does does it make a a big a big difference uh, in you know, there's, there's other factors the point I'm trying to make is, is is there other factors into joining a football club just other than the club itself
1: oh, I think so yeah I'm, I'm sure they always have been because you know you, you have to think about your partner if you've got kids you have to think about them as well You have to think about everybody what's good for them can you be sure you find good schools they're going to be happy kids have settled in there three years you know new friends for them you know your wife's got new friends and um, yeah you've yeah you have to consider everything um Yes, the financial part and on the service can make everything rosy. <laughs> and uh it certainly helps, you know, when you've been paid very well. And people look at it and say, oh, I'll just get on with it and move and stop complaining. And you know, live in a nice house, got a couple of nice cars, you know, you do what you want, you know, um, and so But yeah, it's like at the end of the day, it's it's a job, isn't it? It's a job. And yeah, you know, you don't just leap from one job to the other without thinking about, you know, everything, you know, you know, you've been offered a fantastic job in Newcastle, you know, do you leave because it's twice the money? Yes, it's exciting but, you know, think about the distance and all, all those kind of things I mentioned. Yeah, it's in a way you as a player, you, you know, you come as a package, you know, as a football club. The good clubs I think, but uh, the ones with good human people uh, or good human um, relationship to the football club think about those things. I think more and more so they do now than they than they did before. I don't think that they ever did really before. Um, not, not in my experience anyway. Um, yeah. I think that uh, they're around lots of time. We just, we just give a bit more money, some, you know, and just think that, you know, that could solve everything. And for some players, that was great. That was all they were angling for, you know, thinking another five hundred pound a week back in the eighties, another thousand pound a week back in the nineties, another five grand a week now, another 15, 20 grand a week now. For some people, yeah, come on, let's go. You know. uh, but for others, they'd rather stay, you know, for less because. Happy where they are, and they don't want to upset the whole thing because actually enjoying when they aren't the extra, like I said, the extra 15 grand a year 30 years ago or 20 years ago may not have been may have been a big deal, but you know, now it's you know, you might have to offer that a little bit more. So, not everybody's going my money. I mean, money's never been yeah. my cup, but yeah. it is for some other people, you know. But you have to look at what makes you happy first, I think, you know, and absolutely, but also, also thinking about your career, and it's a short, short life. Now, who,
0: who were the players that you said you uh like took a liking to then when you were at Sheffield Wednesday? Was there anyone that you kind of, you know, um made good friendships with uh, when you were there?
1: Yeah, um yeah, like I said, I was a family man by then. And so you gravitate towards the older guys anyway. I got on well with Des, you know, in a similar sort of way, Des Walker, Tron sort of came afterwards. I got on really well with Tron. We used to spend a lot of time together. Uh, socializing quite a few
0: people have men- mentioned uh, so- uh, Tron saying, Tron, Good, you know, guys. I, I, yeah, a, g- a good captain, would you say?
1: Yeah, yeah, good captain, led by example. He's been around the game that, um, a lot as well, like me. I think he's a little bit younger than me, Tron, but not by much. Um, looks a lot older, there, doesn't he, Tron? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I'll, I'll say, yeah, I'll say, yeah, okay, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, so when he joined online, you know, him and Carlton joined. Uh, towards the end of that first season I was there, I think you know, that was very important to have strong characters who are still very good at their job. You know, you need good personalities around, you know, people who can show the young kids how it can be done, not just pointing a the finger and saying, do this, do that, do that, actually show you what to do. And that and that was the reason, you know, for the Upton. Um, if they're good characters off the field, of course, you know, that helps. So so me, me, Trond, myself, Trond, Carlton and Gerald used to sit in there and have a couple of glasses of wine down on Ecclesaw Road. Um, Nonnas was it? Nonnas, yeah, a couple of times a week.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. without fail. Did that? Did that happen? He you know, said, you know, a couple of times a week. It, it was more kind of accepted back then, were not it? That uh, you could, you know, go out on the town and things like that, than it than it is now. Did you? Uh, like you said you're a
1: family man, but did you
0: enjoy going out? Uh, going out of the town. Yeah, yeah, of
1: course I did. You know, I was. Oh, I was thirty-three, whatever I was at the time, coming thirty-four. Yeah, of course it did, you know, because you need that release as well. Whether you're playing badly or not, whether you're scoring goals or not, whether the team is winning or not, you know, you need to be able to go and uh, release the tension. And yeah, you know, I did, and I did for quite a few years after that. You know, just whenever I felt like it, because that 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 pressure cooker of being a professional athlete is intense. You, you know, you have to find a way. You know, you know, stick. And uh, if that means drinking a couple of bottles of wine over over loads of food, over loads of food with Carlton, then fine. Or with Gerald, you know, we'd you know we'd spend sometimes spend four hours in there in the afternoon. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'd never come out worse for wear though, because just you know, you know your limits more when you're older, don't you? But you know, yeah. that's all sort of part of the process of getting together and and trusting each other more, knowing that you you know you like the guy who's with the trenches, you know, who's in the trenches with you. I
0: think that helps a lot. Would, would was there any sort of like pranksters at your time at, at Sheffield Wednesday, you know, in the dressing room and things like that? Was there anyone that was, you know, liked to play the practical jokes?
1: No, not from what I can recall, actually. No, it was, um yeah, I was you know, just usual dressing room, you know, some good characters there, you know, a mix of young and middle-aged and older players. You know, you know, Paul McLaren was was a good lad. Uh, Danny Matus came on loan as well, and then signed. You know, so I spent a lot of time with Danny. Um, yeah, so yeah, just you know, different things were sort of changing by then. I think in terms of how dressing rooms uh, functions, and even for British players, you know, I think you know they're becoming a little bit more professional in general. And uh, yeah, you know, Wednesday was it's a shame you know that the club wasn't in in, in conditions to be able to take advantage of a lot of the changes that were happening with with uh, British football, with more foreign players coming more foreign coaches, in, us, and then you've done great work. And all those things filter down to different clubs, you know, people yeah. can take those and spread the good, spread the word. But you have to be in a position as a player and also as an organisation to be able to absorb all that information, absorb the good things that happen in the game and progress at a club Wednesday, unfortunately, weren't in a position right then, you know, to do it. And, you know, I don't know if they're in a position right now, unfortunately, um, but yeah, you know, so it's a shame when when big clubs fall on hard times and find it a big struggle, you know, to get themselves out of the cesspit.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously things went from you know bad to worse, didn't they? And then in your in, in your last season, uh, I think you, you didn't you didn't you didn't play uh, a lot, did you? And then I think Chris Chris Turner came in as as manager. What was the what was the reason for you for your leaving?
1: I do. Uh... I just retired early, I had another year to run on my contract. I left in September. I've been i have I've been injured a little bit towards the end of the season before. Nothing really that serious. I just fell out of, like you know, I just fell out of like love for the game. And uh, as I said, if you if it's not a good working environment, you know, you can easily be turned off, you know, later on in, in your career. I'd had a few injuries, a couple of back injuries that we all one longstanding back injury, which always hampered me a little bit throughout playing. And you know, you don't get on on top of things and they can slow you down a bit but ultimately you know the travelling my family was down in, in London you know I could have brought them up and you know make a proper home if you like up in Yorkshire um, I didn't do that and you know so you're spending a lot of time on the road more time than you should do it's not a good thing you know for your body your mindset everything and yeah you know you fall out of love with the, with the game or more, you know probably more pertinently you know you fall out of love with the people that you're working with you know and the coaching and the whole thing environments and you think it's not going to get any better. And I thought, you know what? I'm sort of had enough. And I think if uh, yeah, you know, if yeah you, know, you do think you've had enough. So yeah, so I came to an agreement with the club and um, like I said, I thought, right, you know I'm gonna hang around and get every single penny that I'm owed I could hung around, you know, and pretending that I was not injured and or, or pretending that I was injured and not playing and, and just picking my money up. But if you know that's never been, you know, I I hate that kind of athlete, you know, who does that, especially in a team sport in, 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 in individual sport, you can do what the hell you like, aren't you? You know, it's up to you. But if you got the people who rely on you, you're supposed to be a teammate, you're supposed to be an experienced player. I think you've got to share it by example and do what's right and do it as well as you can. So um yeah, I'd so yeah, I signed and I agreed to move on and, and that was it, yeah. You know, what, what what
0: do you think was the the main reason for for our like kind of demise and and the, why we got relegated that season? What what would you think were the you know the main key key points for
1: for why we did so bad? Well, I, I can't speak for when you know Chris took over because I wasn't there. So, like I said, I'm not sure when he joined the football club, but I I, I left in I think it was September or something. So anything after that date, I've got no idea of what was happening at the football club. And uh, but I would imagine it's just a continued malaise that was around or been around a football club for a couple of years. And if you continue to struggle to generate enough money, you find it difficult to get people off contracts. You, you can't get you can't motivate the players, the players are not good enough, you're not good enough as a coach or whatever to, to, to galvanize everybody around the football club, and then it's going to be very difficult. Um, and yeah, I think I, also in the clubs sometimes can be too they're gonna be too hasty to get rid of. Of players who've got a presence around a football club, you know, and they were sort of keen to try and, you know, shift me on. You know, if if I'd been stubborn about it, I would said, you know, what, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I think Trond was there still. I think after I left. I'm not sure who else of the older guard remained there. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, you think you try and use those players who would be influential to help you stabilise as a football club. The year the two years that I was there, you know, prior to that, um, so. But then, you know, some, you know, once again, it's nothing uh, to do with what happened after I left it is i never met Chris, so I don't know, but certainly I think Terry Arthur was in charge when I, when I left. And um, yeah, some people I think maybe, or some coaches that maybe a bit afraid that you may be too influential, too vocal. I was never someone who was overly vocal and felt there was something that had to be said. You know, I would say I would never, I would never disrespect the, the coach in front of everybody else. You know, if like I had something to say, I don't say it privately. Uh, so, who knows what they're thinking. And, you know, you, yeah, you know, people sometimes don't really have their own personal agenda. But it was a shame, you know, that the club went down because um, I think with with the personnel, I think it was more than good enough, you know, to remain there. But, you know, you know, these things happen. And, uh, you know, the club for yeah. four years never got back to the level that like it was at, you know, you know, prior to that. Absolutely.
0: Now, um, obviously, after, after your playing days, Ended. I believe, am I right in saying you've you've took your coaching badges uh, as well? You've done. Have you have you done those?
1: I haven't actually. No. I mean, I think that's on on my wiki page, but it's false.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't don't read everything on Wikipedia, then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't believe
1: anything you read.
0: Yeah. Obviously, you've got you've got into the journalism side, or or, or put, you know, punditry and you know, commentating and things. Is that is that something that you kind of knew you were going to go into, or did it kind of just just you know suddenly happen?
1: Yeah, basically like that. And I, I never knew. I done one or two things before I retired. A couple, a couple of things when I was at Wednesday still. After a couple of nations with BBC, until TV came down at a day or two came and went the studio. Did that, liked it straight away. Um, and but no real thought I was going to do it when I retired because I wasn't planning on retiring actually later that year. So my first real gig as a co-commentator was the World Cup in two thousand and would not even retired then. I was still playing. So. I went to Japan for the BBC, just called me out of the blue, someone pulled out back in about three weeks, about two weeks before the tournament started. I'd done a few things for them before, so I was sort of on their radar. But I had no experience in that respect. That's a completely different um game to sit in uh, and uh, analyse on the box. And uh yeah, so that was the first game in that first, first real gig I did, or first gig I did, I should even say, it was a World Cup that and came back had the summer off and then came back to training was had a little injury and I said then I retired and then for the next six seven months I wasn't sure what I was gonna do. Uh, I never really felt as if I I wanted to do coaching. So that never really entered my well it, it entered my head but it never really was a thought that yes I'm gonna do that and I'm doing my badges Start you know? and then it was a lot easier for you to get your be uh, a license or whatever and just jump on and you know do that. Um so yeah it was never it was never really a thing for me. It took me about a year or so before I fully decided what I was going to do, um, not before time. And, yeah, within two years, I was starting to do quite a few bits in there, uh, a few bits for the BBC by about 2003, stroke four. Yeah, and i have been doing it. you, you know, still, so. still doing it now? Yes, yeah, yeah. Enjoying it? What do you mean? You never heard me? What are you talking about?
0: <laughs> like, I mean, Look, for the for the people that are listening that don't that don't practice, yeah, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, still, I do lots of stuff for the Premier League, so that goes on the international channel around the world. Um, I do some for Sky as well, so I'm freelance, so I work for quite a few people, and I've done stuff for BBC and ITV over the years. So I'm still getting to grounds, you know, games all the time, every week. Quite lucky then at the moment, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. We, we've, had, we've had two managers that we've not had the privilege of seeing. <laughs> they've (laughs) been and gone Um, but but yeah now before we uh, before I let you get off uh, we always do a bit of a quiz at the end of uh, so I'm going to ask you a a few questions about your time at Sheffield Wednesday see if you uh, see if you can remember so uh, obviously we've spoken about your first goal uh, at Sheffield Wednesday that was obviously against Sheffield United but can you remember your last goal for
1: Sheffield Wednesday was can I have a clue well it'll be that 2000. one
0: 2002 season it was 2002 uh, it was it
1: was february 2002
0: yeah Shefty Coochie Shef scored the winner and we won 2-1 that day away from home uh i've not got that down but uh
1: i'm going to say uh going to say burnley for some strange reason it was watford Ah, we imagine. won
0: two one, and you scored a penalty. Oh,
1: a flipping penalty! Jeez. Yes. Penalty. Well, finish. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> now, next question. So we got to the semi final of the League Cup in the you know, two thousand one yes. two thousand two season. Um, who who did we play in that semi final? And can you remember what the score was on aggregate?
1: We played Bla- uh, played Blackburn. Yeah. We lost. On aggregate, I remember the first game I think was might have been two 0 Maybe we lost three, two, or four, two. So I'm gonna say six, four on aggregate, something like that. Close. It
0: was six, three. We lost the third, we lost two one at home, and then we cool. lost 4-2 four, two, four, two away. And you scored you were scored in both games as well. I scored in both, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now in that scored, same see in that same on. season uh, in the cup, you scored in every round bar one, which were the team that you didn't score against. I think it was Watford. It was Watford, yeah. When we, yeah, we won 4 yeah. uh, um, 0. Yeah. Can you remember who you made your Sheffield Wednesday debut against? Birmingham. Well done. That's, uh, yeah. your, your knowledge is quite good. Uh, we won 1 0 at home. Um, how many appearances did you make for Sheffield Wednesday? Now, I'm going to say, I didn't take this off Wikipedia, so I, I'm hoping this is right. How yeah. many uh, and appearances?
1: I know it's in the seventies. I'm going to say seventy-two.
0: Well, I've got down seventy-one
1: ah. in, Le- in, Le- in league, in league, in and cup. So
0: it. Uh, whenever I do this one, it's always uh, you know people always have different uh, different figures. Yeah. How many goals? How many goals did you score for us then? Twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-two. I'll
1: go with twenty-one.
0: <laughs> twenty-one. <laughs> so close again. More margins, eh? Yes. Uh, and then final two questions. Now, you scored against Sheffield United on your debut. Can you remember what
1: minute it was when you scored the first goal? Uh, it was late in the first half. I'm going to say 33.
0: It was actually the 10th minute. Was it? It oh. was the 10th minute that you, that you yeah, scored that uh, scored that header.
1: Okay, I thought
0: it was I thought it was late in the first half. Yeah. No, it was a, it was the tenth a minute. And then final question: uh, you had the number nine shirt when you signed for us permanently, but what number did you wear when you signed for us on loan in that first season?
1: Oh, it was twenty something,
0: twenty two. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Stuart Ripley, he he was he was number nine at the uh, at the time, which was a bit odd because he was a midfielder, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, playing the number in the number nine, uh, number nine shirt. But uh, but yeah, your, your knowledge of Sheffield Wednesday, uh, your time there was uh, was quite good. Thanks very much, Effin, for for coming on. That was, uh, I really enjoyed this uh, this chat. Being great to uh, great to talk to you. Obviously, gives a good insight of what it was like at Sheffield Wednesday at the at the time.